0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of All Ball Chicago. I'm your co-host Robert, Bobby Reed, and I got the legend, the NBA veteran, the McDonald All-American, your host Marcus living in a building. What's up, Marcus? What's up, my beautiful people? And we got a special guest in the building today. One of the Mount Rushmore hoopers of Chicago. One of my favorite players from Parker High School. Went on to Marquette to win the national title. He showed up at two national title games. Walked away in 1977 with the championship. Then went on to college. I mean, went on to the pros and uh, got drafted by a Denver Nuggets. Man, we're going to give it up for Maurice Bo Ellis. What's up, Bo Ellis? How you doing, man?
0: good brothers everything is good just trying to stay safe and you know get through these hard times but you know it's going to get better so i've been good and i've been very blessed and thanks for having me on glad to do this
1: Yes. yes sir
2: yes uh bo we are happy to have you um we've been trying to get you and uh you know your man your teammate got got on the phone. He said, man, you want Bo? I got that, man. We make that happen. Lloyd. So Lloyd made sure he made that happen for us, man. But Bo, man, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Uh, watch you as a shorty, uh, coming up in Chicago. And we are just going to jump right into it, man. What Chicago basketball means to you? Oh, uh, well, Chicago
0: basketball means everything to me. Uh, it opened up tremendous doors for me when I was younger. Um, a lot of the older individuals and the legends of Chicago, I was very blessed to be able to play with at a young age at 15, 16 years old. And uh, Chicago basketball has uh, set the table for my life and it, it taught me uh, a very valuable lesson that I was always told by first Leon Hillard and Mel Davis, who were two former Harlem Globetrotters that came to us uh, at a young age, Dr. Lloyd Walton and us, and taught us how to use our platform to help other young people in the city. And from there, it just uh, helped me take off and go to another level and and, uh, just means everything. And uh, just trying to do some other things for other young people in my life that I've been going through. And uh, it's been been a wonderful ride and, and, and still continuing.
2: Wow. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that, Bo, because uh, Mel Davis also played a big part of me learning the game of basketball. It's, It's crazy how, you know, you have Chicagoans who love basketball, who want to give back, and Mel Davis was that guy that taught me, you know, one, how to play the game, but also how to respect the game. You know, so I always tell people Mel Davis is the one that really taught me how to understand the game of basketball.
0: Yeah, Mel, um, Bill and, and Leon Hillard, like I said, I don't know if you ever met Leon. Uh, he may have passed by the time that, uh, you know, he was he was so I think I
2: remember that name. I remember yeah,
0: that Leon, name. Uh, Leon was, uh he was the Curly Neal and the Marcus Haynes of his day, but uh, uh, Leon was from the West Side. He went to McKinley High School, and I think that ended up being Will's High School, but the two of them, with uh, Eloise Saperstein, part yep. of the uh, Abe Saperstein Foundation, and we used to go around all over the city. We went out to Leclerc Court, and like I said, they taught us how to use our platform and give back, to, you know, to help the other young individuals coming up in Chicago. And that's 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 been the beauty of Chicago basketball. And and like you just said, Marcus, you had Mel Davis, and, See, I was often compared in high school to uh, uh, Cassie Russell and George Wilson because the two of them were 10 years before me. I graduated in 73 and they came out in the 60s and the 50s. So I was often compared to them and they were always in my ear. And I never really met George Wilson up until maybe about 15 years ago when I was coaching at Chicago State. I went out to Cincinnati to do a celebrity golf thing for Bob Huggins. And, uh, and, and, and at that event, George was actually there. And that was the first time I met George. And when I actually saw him in person, George looked like he could have been my father and my big brother, tall, light-skinned, and red. And I had a tremendous time. And, and the older I get, I'm starting to come in contact with a lot more of those individuals who open the door for me, they will in turn open the door for you and you open the door up for the other ones. And that's what Chicago basketball is all about. And that's the beauty. And that's what this whole thing is about, sharing our stories for young people so they can see the light and where they wanna go.
2: Man, that's real real talk there, man. And I appreciate that too, that, that, that what you had just spoke about, but also Bo, I never got a chance to see, I saw you play, but I never got a chance to see George play. What kind of game, if you remember, because I know you watched George play, I'm assuming, what kind of game did George have?
0: No, see, that was a little before my time, so I never really saw George play. Okay. I saw some highlights, you know, in, uh, in high school, and uh, and I, I never really saw Cassie play in high school either. But you know, I saw Cassie play a lot at, at Dr. King's Boys Club okay. in my early years. And uh, but I never had a chance to see George play. I saw some clips, and that's why I was so excited when I first met him and the comparisons, you know, to our our, our games and stuff. And and uh, but he was a little before me. So I, I, I never saw him play to the point where I could sit here and discuss okay. what he did. So um that was something that but you know, I did watch Cassie, work, uh, Cassie Russell go to work. And then I uh, also was the assistant coach with Don Russell, Cassie's younger brother at Collins. And I, I remember think, that. I think the year that y'all went on and went downstate, I, I think we played y'all in the, uh, in yep. the semifinals at the state yep. championship your senior year, didn't we? That's right. That's right. Because I uh. think Rashard and, and what's the name, was either freshman or sophomores, the year we, we played y'all at UIC when we had Randy Brown, Michael, yep. New, Walter yep. Bond. So, you know, those two individuals, you know, meant the world to me and, you know, they opened up the doors and and, and in turn it enabled me to open up the doors for other guys that came up behind us. And, and, and that's what this whole thing is about. And, and it's that old saying, if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you're going. So... They showed me where I was from and where I could possibly go. And the rest is history.
2: Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Man. And, and I think, Bo, I think we missing, you know, we did miss a gap. I think we, and I don't know who dropped the ball on it, but it's not to say that's one reason why we wanted to start, start all ball Chicago to get people like yourself back on and talk to some of our listeners about what Chicago meant to you. And also, how you represented for chicago when you went off to co- when you went off to college to play at marquette university so let's talk a little bit about marquette we're going to be a little bit all over the place because we don't have no script man we just go straight from the heart and start okay. talking about it. but but when you went to marquette uh and the great al mcguire came into your home and i'm assuming he came to chicago to recruit you uh made that visit to you and what did he say to you to make to convince you to go to Marquette?
0: Oh, a lot of people always ask me that, Marcus. Why Marquette? Because I was recruited by everybody in America. I wow. had good grades. I had good grades. Uh, there was no ACT and SAT, you know, stipulations and what to do. And the thing that separated Coach McGuire from all the other coaches that came in to see me is – when Coach finally came in to see me, because I hadn't signed yet, so it was still almost June, and I was still out there, and <clears throat> Dr. Lloyd Walton was at Marquette, and Dr. Walton told uh, Coach, he said, you need to go to Chicago to see Bo Ellis. And what happened was there was no scholarships until Larry McNeil decided to leave school early, and he didn't decide to go hardship until later in the summer. So that mm. scholarship became available. But when Coach came into my house, unlike all the other coaches were telling me how great of a player I was and that, that what you know what I was gonna do for them, I didn't worry about that. I didn't want to hear that because I know I knew how good I was. All I wanted to do is have a fair opportunity to, to win the spot. But Coach McGuire said, to me and my moms, the most important thing to me is that your son receives a degree from Marquette University. And he said Marquette University will pay for his education until he receives his degree, no matter how long it takes. And that was the thing that separated Al McGuire from all the other coaches that came into my home because he was uh he was concerned about me getting a college degree because he told me that that degree is more important to me than basketball ever will be. And he said, you don't understand what I'm saying right now, Mm -hmm. but he said, as you get older, you'll realize it. And when I talk to a lot of young kids right today, I talk about a lot of different things. I do things in the community and I tell them the most important thing to me, and my biggest accomplishment in life is the degree that I received from Marquette University, because I told them I'm in nine different Hall of Fames and my number's hanging up in the Bradley Center. And I tell the kids that doesn't that that's that's good, but I like the most important thing is that degree I received from Marquette. That's my biggest accomplishment for a young man to come from Parker High School a public league school from Englewood off of 71st and normal to go to Marquette, graduate in four years and have a chance to play in the NBA. That's my most tremendous accomplishment far beyond anything I've done in basketball. And like I said, I'm in nine hall of fames, number retired. None of that matters that degree I received. So that from coach McGuire
2: is why I went to Marquette. Can I hop
1: in real quick, Liv?
2: Wow, man. I just want to say that. I'm going to let you go, Bob, but I'm just like, wow, man. That's what I was thinking. Because uh, you don't get that as much or it doesn't get publicized as much when a kid, an African-American kid from Chicago, go on to college and be successful, not on the court, but off the court. Go ahead, Bobby.
1: Yeah, I was just going to hop in, Liv, because you went back and finished your degree, and I'm very proud of you doing that, too, my brother, and... And Bo Ellis, man, I think the emphasis need to be more on that with these kids when they're recruiting these kids because from what I understand, the Lib was telling me this, they can snatch that scholarship from you if you don't perform well. So shouldn't it be the emphasis be more on telling these kids we're going to help you get the degree as opposed to putting so much emphasis on sports? If they really care about
0: the kid. And there's, there's still a lot of schools that emphasize that You know, I also was a college coach for 17 years. I coached at Marquette as an assistant for 12 years under four different coaches. And then after, uh, when I got to about 45 years old, I finally decided to take the head coaching job at Chicago State. And a lot of people thought I was crazy for that. But Coach McGuire was the one. At that time, he was still alive. He said, "Bo, go for it. He says home. He said, you're 45 years old now. You've been here for 10 years. Because, see, I wasn't one of those individuals that came out as a young age and, and, and started coaching. You know, I didn't do it until later in life. So that's the most important thing that we should be talking to these kids about. And the schools that do that and emphasize that, that's important. But the kids need to hear that now, these days, more than ever, because... You know, things have changed so much with with professional, you know, sports and kids leaving school early. And and, and on the flip side of that, a lot of people don't know my name was on the hardship list. My junior, my sophomore and junior year because the ABA was still in play. And see, I was really ABA type of uh, material because I was long, wiry, skilled, run, jump out of the gym, And that's what the ABA was all about. So I decided to stay in school all four years because my mother wanted me to get a degree. And after my sophomore year, I went back to school. And then after my junior year, I went back to school and my mother said, listen, he said, we haven't had a whole lot up until this point in our lives. He said, you can stay another year. And the other thing about that whole thing is My mother never saw me play in high school because, you know, when I was in high school in 69 through 73, we played at 315 in the afternoon, Mark, you know, because it was crazy. So the varsity played first and then the frost soft played. So as good as I was in all my years in high school, starting as myself and Ricky Green as two freshmen, we were the first two freshmen to start on varsity in the history of Chicago. Back in 1973, Ricky Green at Hirsch, and myself at Parker. Wow! And, uh, you know, from having that, so my mom's got to see me play. She enjoyed all four years of my college career. I'm the, I'm uh, myself and Earl Tadium are the two winningest players in Marquette history. We were oh. 101 and 18. What? In oh. four years of college, uh, <laughs> like I said, played in two national championship games. My junior year, we were 28-2. and two. That was the year that Indiana went undefeated. We played Indiana to get to the Final Four and in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, the Final Eight, and they beat us to get to the Final Four. Now, if that was these days, Indiana and Marquette, who were one and two in the nation that whole year, we would have never played until almost a national championship game. So... Kind of give you a little more history there. A lot of people. Man. Realistically, if Maurice Lucas stays in school, because he left after junior year, after we lose to North Carolina State, everybody back on that team uh, would have been back except for Marcus Washington, who played at LaGrange High School, who had won a state championship from LaGrange, and he was the only one that graduated. And then that next year, Butch Lee came in. That's I really had a legit shot a plan, and four final fours if everybody stayed
2: in school. Wow. That would have been rough. Man, Bo, you, <laughs> hey, you you guys were doing it, though, but Bo, I've been hearing some things, man. I go back and listen to some of those old interviews that you had, and, man, someone said that Mr. Bo Ellis was a designer, um, an artist, you know, someone who was good with that pencil work that knew how to sketch and do some certain things (laughs) with that. And um, it was brought to our attention by Mr. Dr. Lloyd Walton that you designed Marquette's uniform.
0: Actually, it was Dr. Walton was the one that went in to coach McGuire and suggested that we do it. And a lot of people don't know this, that uh, every year for the NCAA tournament, Marquette would come out with new uniforms. So, Coach McGuire was the innovator when it came to that. So, Lloyd went to him and said, Coach, won't you let Bo design the uniforms? Now, when another thing is, when Coach came to my house to recruit me after he had that speech about uh, getting the degree and that was the most important thing, he asked me what I wanted to major in. And I told him either architectural drafting or fashion designing. and neither mm-hmm. one of those mark can offer So Coach Kyler looked at me like, what is a kid from 71st <laughs> Street in Chicago gonna do with a degree talking about fashion designing and architectural <laughs> drafting? So, you know, that that was a little strange within itself. So um So I I end up coaching them, end up uh, putting together my sophomore year, I went to Mount Mary College, which was the best fashion designing school in Wisconsin. And it was all girl Catholic school on the, on the West side of, of Milwaukee. So after my freshman year, I went to one year at Mount Mary, took some designing courses and, um, and, and that was a tremendous experience. I had a, a nun as my teacher. I was very intimidated, you know, to being a, a, a black young man from Chicago at an all, pretty much all white, you know, female university, one of the best fashion designing schools in the world. And it was, there was a couple of sisters in, in that class that, that went to school with me. So that's how that whole thing got started. So Lloyd said both. Uh, Coach Bow designed the uniform. So Lloyd was my roommate. I set up that night, got colored pencils and everything, and I drew up the uniforms. Now, one of the reasons that we, we came up with the idea of the shirts outside the pants is because I never liked wearing my uniform tucked in. And one of the reasons that in high school, you know, we didn't have the the finest of equipment, so right. some of it used to be kind of short, so I would just pull <laughs> it out, and once I got to college it was just a habit, so I liked wearing my uniforms out, and that's how the concept came outside the pants, and then from that you know, some years ago it was a market gentleman named Danny Pudi he put together the 20 for, uh, 30 for 30 with ESPN. So I have a 30 for 30 called Untucked. I don't even know if you know that.
3: No. Well,
0: What's yeah, the? called? I have a 30 for 30. So next time you have a chance, go to ESPN.com slash 30 for 30. Then go to shorts and go to Untucked. Oh. And then you'll oh. see the documentary in my 30 for 30. So that's how that whole oh. thing came about and the uniforms and that's how I designed it. And Dr. Walton was the one Uh, I was given the okay, but Lloyd was the one that got
2: that whole thing started with that, also. Wow, man. Well, that just shows me just listening to you talk. I know I knew of you, but I really never got a chance and opportunity to pick your brain. And I wish I had that chance when I was growing up in Chicago just to sit down and actually talk to you. It just shows me how intelligent you were. Um, You all, you are, it seems like you knew what you wanted at a young age, and a lot of our young. Black kids in Chicago don't understand or don't know what they really want. You did that, and it seems like you had a strong mom in your life, a mother in your life um, and, and who wanted the best for you. but I did I didn't hear you mention your father now. Was your father in your life or not really?
0: well my father was in my life my, my, my mother and father were separated. But my father was still in, in my life. And now that I'm older and been married over 42 years and have my own family, I, I understand that. But my father always came home uh, every Saturday because my father was a milkman. He worked at Joe Lewis Milk Company. Wow. It, it used to be over there on 61st and Prairie over there. So my father wow. was mm, a milkman. That. And uh, so he used to come every Saturday. He would bring... You know, the milk home to, to, to moms, give them monies. So I, I used to talk to them so I knew my father, but I didn't know him. And as I got older and in, in college, when it was time, as I was getting to be a a, a, year older, a young man, well, I, went to, I wanted to reach out to my father. But my junior year of college, my father developed uh, cancer in, in his voice box. So my father died when I was a junior in college at Marquette. So I never really got to know him the way I wanted to, but I knew him, but I didn't know him, but he was in my life. He always came. I played little league baseball. Anything that needed to be paid for, it was all taken care of. And one thing I didn't know, even though my father didn't live with me, if I did something crazy and my mother said, yeah, well, I'm going to call your father, then I do. But but I was the <coughs> a kid, she never had to do that because I wasn't doing nothing crazy. So my mom's was my guidance, and my other influences was Chicago Park District and my, my grammar school teachers, who most of them were from traditional Black colleges. So they, they're they the ones that, that, that laid the footprint for the success that i was able to have in life and 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 i was just blessed to have a lot of people to put their arms around me because i was like i said i was from inglewood parker high school right in the heart of the gangster disciples that's where all of that stuff started mm-hmm. but back in the day if you was an athlete they looked after you you I know do. if it was something that was getting ready to go on that was crazy they would tell you to go home. Now granted, these was all my boys and they were from the neighborhood. So, you know, I yeah, I hung out with them, but you know, they weren't doing no, nothing crazy like they are out there, but they was protecting us and they wanted us to do well. And, and I had a 66th birthday last Saturday, August the 8th, and I don't do Facebook, but my wife does. And I have a real close friend. He's a guitarist. His name is Keith Henderson. He's from the neighborhood, a few years behind me, played with Anita Baker, The Emotions. Wow! wow. And posted something and my wife let me see it. And I had tears in my eyes. They're like, to Bo Ellis, happy birthday. The first brother from 71st and in Inglewood to show us that you could come from the neighborhood and make it and be successful. And you've opened up the doors for a lot of us. So that was very important to me. And then one other thing is, Mark Aguirre some years later, cause you know, Mark is a few years behind me and, and this was when Ron Emanuel was still the mayor and uh, they, they were trying to do some things uh, for, for the public league school kids with a lot of former players and Ron Emanuel had a big event down at Dunbar uh, for all former players from, from all eras and we all got together and they were trying to put together a mentoring program And then Mm. Mark Aguirre said at that meeting, when he got up to speak and he said, Bo Ellis was the one that showed us that you could go straight from high school and right to college and play right away and be successful if you did what you needed to do successfully in the classroom. And that made me really, really feel good. And that's what it's all about. And now everybody's doing the same thing. each one must teach one. And and that's what we do. But I had a lot of people and a lot of guidance. My male influence came from a lot of different individuals. And I had a lot of fathers and I have two daughters and I never had a son, but my wife always say, yeah, you got a lot of sons because all of the years I've been coaching, I've been able to touch a lot of people's lives. And and that was a, a direct result of how people came into my life and that's called giving back. And and that's how I was taught.
2: And that's what's important to me. Still right today. Wow, man, you just, you just blowing me away, man, with with your conversations that we are having right now. And I also want to mention that you won a national championship and within within itself, that is hard to do. We all know that, you know, people don't win, you know, national championships. They try, they try. You try to make it, and they, you played with a great coach, Al McGuire, and Mark Marquette. You played against a Dean Smith team, North Carolina. What year was that? Nineteen seventy-seven, or? Right, uh, it was seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. Uh, you played against North Carolina, and they have some talented players. But if you also had some talented players. Who, do you remember some of those players on that team? I, I think I heard Walter Davis was on one of those. Yeah, Walter
0: teams. Davis, Phil Ford, uh, Michael Korn, Uh They had Tommy Lagarde, uh, Dudley Bradley, all of them. And Tommy Lagarde was a seven-foot kid that was from Detroit, Michigan. Then you know, point guard Phil Ford, and that was the matchup, Phil Ford and, and Butch Lee and, and Michael Corrin was only a freshman. Mike is from New Jersey, played in the NBA for a long time. So so they had a serious team, and, and we went at it. But before we got to them, we had to beat North Carolina Charlotte with Cornbread Maxwell in them. Oh. And, and, and Cornbread Maxwell in them beat UNLV in their semifinal game with Reggie Thiers. Sam Smith, Eddie. Sudden Smash. Sudden Sam Smash. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 final four that year was loaded, and a
1: lot of us.
2: Man, I'd love to hear those stories.
1: That's veterans,
2: man. Real
0: friends right today. A serious matchup, and there was one that we
2: was going to do. Wow. Yeah. Man, Bo, that just hearing these stories, man, it, it got me like want to go back to YouTube and look them up <laughs> so I can see them and watch them again, man. Uh, cause, cause I know you was real silky smooth. Uh, like you say, you were, you had that length that you can get to the basket. Uh, you had that 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 picture perfect jump shot from 15 on out. I'm gonna say 15 on out, not 15 That's on
0: absolutely.
2: Yeah, so I, I I watch you, man. I remember watching you in the pro am and like, and my dad, my father at the time, used to take me to all those pro am games, and he would tell me who who was from Chicago because back then you had guys coming. I remember Artis Gilmore playing in it, uh, some of those West Side at, at Malcolm X College back then, the pro am. And yeah. I, so I remember coming watching you, Sonny Parker, and all you guys, uh, Ricky Green uh playing that and I'm like my dad was just naming names boom that's Bo Ellis watch him watch how you play watch how he moves out there so I was watching you man and even though my father didn't know at the time that I actually wanted to play he was taking me to those games so I could see and I was having fun watching I was like in awe and awe, watching you guys play so man definitely laid the foundation for me to want to play the game of basketball so I want to say thank you for that I appreciate it y'all, y'all the same size Lib. Oh yeah, well, he, got like you, he got you by an inch.
1: He got you by an inch. When he got you, Lib.
2: But but Bo but Bo has a national championship. I don't <laughs> have a national championship. So I don't, I don't. <laughs> hey man, you competed hard, Lib. Let me ask Bo <laughs> something
1: though. Bo, I know you um you you pay attention to everything that's going on in Chicago. How do you how do you feel about your old neighborhood right now, Inglewood, compared yeah. to when you was there and where it is now? Well, you know, it,
0: it's has grown and the redistricting redistricting has uh, expanded uh, quite a bit. Because, you know, now they call West Inglewood over by Marquette Park Inglewood. But when I was growing up, you couldn't even go over there because it was all white people. You couldn't. <laughs> when, 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 when I tell people where I'm from, I tell them I'm from the real Inglewood. I grew up on 71st and Normal right across from Hamilton Park. Parker High School was on 68th and Stewart. And just seven blocks north of Parker was Inglewood High School on 63rd and Stewart. Now, mm-hmm. one year, Inglewood was in the blue when I was in school. So they were never in the red, so we never played. But my senior year, when things had started to change a little bit, Inglewood got pretty good. And that's when they started to allow the blue and the red to compete you know, to go down state, and Englewood was undefeated in the blue division, and we ended up having to go to Englewood to play them in the playoffs. My senior year, to beat them, because they had a whip. You know, they had Eddie Curry, and 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 we called it the Castle on 63rd. So we wouldn't even. Uh, walk up there one day coach was talking about we don't need a bus to go to Inglewood because it's right up the street. We looked at it like, shit, we ain't walking <laughs> up there, you know, so, so, so but but Inglewood, it, it's changed, but 63rd and Halstead was the spot. You could go up there, you, you had Regal shoes, father and son, you had wraps, Taylor. you had weeboats, you, 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 you had everything. Inglewood, it was booming, it was wild, but now it's grown and it's a little out of control, but you know, everything must change. But you know, people are still trying to do the right thing and there are still a lot of positive things happening in Inglewood and the most important thing is for us, people like myself and people that's doing well, whether it's in you know the in music profession or or, or school teachers or whatever it is is to give back and show these kids that they have a chance to be successful in life. Yeah. yeah. And I tell our story. one more quick story. Oh, yeah. and I'll tell you uh, Mr. Bonner, who was our principal at Parker High School. And you know it's a lot of Bonners, the real Bonners, there were some of them at Phillips and they were all over. So so yep. my my uh my my uh principal Mr. Bonner once uh, they changed the name to Paul Ropeson from Parker to Ropeson when they moved to the new building, what Mr. Bonner used to do every year, he put together an all-male assembly at Ropeson High School, and they would have all the girls would go somewhere else, and and the guys had the school all day, and he would have guys come back from the community that went to Parker High School and sit down with the little brothers there and had us all share our story, tell the kids where we were from, where we grew up in the neighborhood, what we were doing, how much money we were making, how we got to where we would do. And that was something he did every year for like six or seven years up until the day he passed away. And see, that's that old thing I was talking about, each one would teach one. Mm -hmm. So that's another one that taught me that that's how we give back so we can show kids from the neighborhood where we from, where we came from, what we do, how we got there and share our story to try to make their roads a little safer and a lot easier to, to get to where they're trying to go.
2: Yes, that's yes. Real. And that's I think real. and I think we can get back to that. You know, I think we can get back to because I think that is a, a, a good formula to, to do and uh, teach our young generation that we came from the same neighborhoods that you guys came from, but we had people that we could look up to that. We knew that we could touch, you know, and I think a lot Mm -hmm. of times kids can't, can't touch people because they end up leaving their communities and never coming back. You know, like it's a lot of musicians. Like you just speak, you spoke about earlier that's from Chicago there's a lot of successful doctors lawyers all type of business people that came from chicago sports figures that came from chicago that's doing well if we can form something and get them to come back and share their stories like you just said because i know my story uh bo was i didn't think that i could play in the nba i just love the game of basketball i didn't know it was going to take me places that it did but my father also told me, he said, if you learn the game, especially on the fundamentals, you know, he was big on the fundamentals, that if you learn the fundamentals, it can take you places. And I respect my dad for that. And I appreciate my father for doing that for me, because here it is, a little kid on the south side of Chicago that had an opportunity to play at the highest level, the NBA, you know, and, and do some things that I never thought I could do you know i never thought that i could be that person that people want to look up to and say man i want to be like marcus liberty man i want to be like bo ellis man i want to be like dr lloyd Walton. i want to be like Sonny parker you know the list can go on and on mark Guay, isaiah thomas all these great people that came from chicago we need to get back to that we need to let these young men and women see us touch us understand that we are human but we also love our city
0: absolutely. and one thing that uh, i I like to talk about you is asking about growing up in Inglewood around at the age of around eleven and twelve about sixth or seventh grade, you know, with all of the unrest going on with the police and everything, you know in Chicago and around the world i I like to say that when I was growing up, I grew up in the seventh district and the police were the ones that got me started. I had officer Sherrod and officer uh, West that, that uh, came in and we were the 007 Royals. And from 6th, 7th, 8th to high school, they had, we had a police bus. We, we used to go and play all the tournaments. I don't know if you remember Southtown Wild on 66 in Stewart. I remember that. We used to play in all of the tournaments at Southtown. So the, these two policemen used to come and get us and take us. We had a police bus, we would go all around the city. And that was our youth Us all around. And so we were the 007 Royals. Now, remember, I said I was talking about the Gangster Disciples. We had an older team, and we practiced over at St. Stephen's Church right there on 65th and Peoria. Mm-hmm. And if you know Inglewood and the area, when you once you get to 66th and Halstead or 67th and Halstead and you start going south, that was Hoover and them. That's and another then game. Off of that area <laughs> was David Barksdale. So, But that was before the gangsters and the disciples was all together. Now, our older team were mostly disciples. And because they were our big team, they looked out for us. So when we would go to practice over there at St. Stephen's, you know, if anything would go crazy, they would look out and make sure that we was well protected. And once we started walking back past 67th Street and headed back towards 71st and Halstead, you know, we was in good hands. So the police department was uh, the individuals that really got me off in the right direction, showed us how to, you know, stay together, to play, to love each other, enjoy the community. And they took us all over and they helped set the table for my life. So the police department was always very good to the community in Englewood when we were
1: coming up. Wow. I think the police take I, a bad rap too live I think they take a bad rap yeah, I, man. Agree. And, and music, I agree and in our music they always putting the police down so I'm glad you said that uh, uh, I thought folks. that was important I go put everything going down
0: like you said I, I I like to share that story because it's important to me because i uh, I have a lot of friends that was uh police and, and actually I don't know if you know this Marcus but I know you remember Stevie King. Little guard because Stevie was still playing, and Stevie okay. just retired from the police force just a couple years ago. And Stevie what? was a police. Yeah, I know you wow. didn't know
3: that. Wow. He
0: was a policeman for about 15 to 20 years, and I think he's coaching over at Diet now. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah, just showed wow. you. And then, well, but I had a lot of close friends that's police. So, you know, and I know it's a touchy subject because. You know, some crazy things, and yeah, I've had some run-in with the police at, at Marquette, and uh, I, you know, I told this story. Uh, uh we 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 uh, did a virtual thing for Cojo Co- 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 at Marquette for the players and stuff, and I told him a story about after my freshman year, I was leaving from the Milwaukee arena and the you know the Bucks and and. And Marquette always has played in the same arena. An arena. And I was coming from the game with a friend watching, uh, uh, I believe Kareem, number were playing, they might have been playing the Boston Celtics in the playoffs. And we were leaving the arena, walking back to, uh, to the dorms and two police swooped up on us, jumped up out of the car, pointed these big old guns at us and said, hold it. There was just a robbery around the corner. Two black guys. You fit the description. So me and my boy put our hands up, and I had my army fatigue jacket on because you know those was the black power days. Right. And I said, "Hold it, officer!" Like we just coming from the from the arena, and we wasn't more than a hundred feet from the back door at um at, at the Milwaukee Arena. And uh, I said, "My ticket is in my pocket, and uh, like my name is Bo Ellis. I played at Marquette. Now they got these two big guns on us." Standing there and it was all and it was only one car. So it wasn't like it was a whole bunch, but they still had the big guns pointed at us and what they said. And once I told them who we were, they looked at me, the officer looked at me and said, I thought that was you. And, wow yeah but but he didn't but he didn't lower he didn't lower that pistol so oh, you know, God. I, I tell a lot of people that story so you know we, we, we've all been a part of racial profiling even still right today and stuff so mm. you know that that's something that we have to teach kids to be smart you know, like and the police say stop stop don't still don't keep running uh tell them that all the time and you know it's just it's just different times and, and as you get older it's marcus you know, we were talking, I asked you how old you were a couple of weeks ago. You're like 51. And and other thing is when I was coaching at Marquette, I tried to go, I, I went and watched Marcus play at king and everything, but you know, that was a done deal. You know, Jimmy Collins had he, Jimmy had Jimmy had Chicago locked up when it came to that. Hey, but
2: Bo, but Bo, but Bo, I'm telling you, if you would have came down on that low end where I was from and said, "Look here, Marcus, I, I gotta have you at Marquette, man," I I think you could have probably did it, man. I'm just telling you, Coach,
1: Coach Cox wasn't he wasn't having that. You know, Coach
0: you know Coach Cox Cox uh he started off at Parker High School. As the baseball I coach. remember that. And and, and and, Jimmy Collins was one of my mentors also. So, but you know, I tried to get in there, but but Coach wasn't having that. And Coach was saying, you know, Paul, well, I think he's gonna be going to Illinois. So, you know, <coughs> I I kinda that's why I kind of bagged off and
2: stuff. Wow, man. I would have loved to just sit down and talk and even take that visit uh to Marquette. Uh, but like like you said, Coach Cox. Um, he had our best interest, man. He oh, no, yeah, he, sure. he he figured that. Let me let me let me be the one to do some of the talking, and then once we get past that first tier, then we'll introduce the parents and the, uh, the student athlete to the coaches. And he did a great job with that, man. And um, oh, you I really decision. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I decision. really appreciate. It. Yeah. Oh, no, y'all had
0: a whip down there. That, yeah, man. that, 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 that was good. Then. And see, let's show you how different his time was. I'm going to tell you another good quick story. Hey, hey, I know you got a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's so go. So uh, so either sophomore or junior year, the Illinois Gazette, I think that was the name. Was it, was yep. it the Illinois Gazette? Uh-huh. They used to have the all-state team. Yep. And, and and at that time, they would bring everybody down there uh, for a dinner and stuff. Uh, and then the state tournament was still there, so I remember my sophomore year, my high school coach, run us um, to state tournament. I don't remember who was playing, but we went down to Champagne, and uh, and, and they kind of made it a a, a a visit for me because when you when you were back in the in those days, you could you could take as many visits as you wanted, and you could go any year. I took thirteen visits, you what? know. My senior year, but I don't say about the schools that I went to. You know, before I was senior, so sophomore year, Nick Weatherspoon and Billy Connors. You remember those names? Yep, I remember. They, I remember. they, they were there, and, and we were on campus. And, and those were some. There were some racially mixed times. There wasn't a whole lot of brothers going to Illinois back That's then. That's right. I remember they had to the one guy, uh, Greg Jackson, I, I think was his name. uh and in the early years, well, this is a little before me, and I'm 66 now, so they're probably in their 70s. But but Nick Weatherspoons and Billy Connors, I was walking with them on campus, and some uh, some some white students were throwing water balloons. Uh, for from the dorms and they threw them at Nick and Billy Connors and and they went up in the dorms and, and they, they went up sat them boys here and it was, <laughs> was, was a little racial <laughs> tension and stuff so that, that kind of turned me off about not wanting to go to Illinois so I, I just wanted to shut but but times has changed but that you know I, I'm talking about that that was uh, the late '60s so you know yeah. that was cutting edge of segregation a lot of things going on. And I tell a lot of kids that. And, and not until you start to get older, like myself, that I realized how close I was because I stayed in my neighborhood and my moms and them, you know, kept me, you know, where we were, what were supposed to be. So, you know, we, we we were away from all of that. So that's kind of my story about, yeah. uh, you know, my, my Illinois uh, uh experience back in the day in the, uh, in the late sixties
2: yeah i was going i was going i was gonna talk about that you know how did you not go to the University of illinois but you already answered that <laughs> let's talk about the nBA now you know you're, you're you know you getting that opportunity to get drafted uh into the nBA how did that how did that feel well
0: I, it was funny that that you say that and a lot of people you know ask me this. Because, you know, now all the kids, you know, like, yeah, parents, like, I'm going to the NBA. I'm like, listen, I never had any dreams about playing in the NBA when I was growing up, like I, because I had no examples in my neighborhood. It was nobody from the neighborhood that was in the pros like they are now. So I played the game because I loved it. It kept me out of trouble. Oftentimes, you know, kept me away from wildness, but... You know, oftentimes I would still get shot at, you know, at Hamilton Park. And I, I used to tell kids that I could have easily been Ben Wilson, you mm-hmm. know, when, when I was growing up. So, you know, I didn't I didn't really, you know, have dreams on being a pro player until I got to Marquette, started to have some success. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Maurice Lucas go pro. And I got to meet Jimmy Jones, who was from Waycine, Wisconsin, who left Marquette after his sophomore year. Then I saw that I may, I have a chance, but you know, my thing was go to school, get a degree, enjoy the game. And then as things started to get better, I realized that yeah, you do have a chance to be a pro player. And I'm gonna tell you this one guy, his name was Reggie Henderson. I just told you about Keith Henderson. Reggie was Keith's bigger brother. And he was a little older than me, real nice dress, I always had lizards, tailor-maids on. A little while, I used to like to drink wine, <laughs> was messing around with that dope all the time, but always made sure that, I, and, and when he would see me walking down the street, he would be hollering across the street, he'd say, Bo, he'd say, boy, one day you're going to make $100,000 and you're going to be in the NBA. And I was young. This, this is before I even got to be who I was as a freshman and as a sophomore, and I was starting to get better. But Reggie Henderson saw the potential of me being a professional athlete and being a pro, and he used to say it all the time. And, and, and that was my, my guy that he'd say, boy, one day you're going to make 100000 you're going to be a pro. So, you know, I started to realize that I had a chance, and then it turned out, you know, The success I had in college and then the Mel Davises and the Leon Hillers, started telling me, you say, boy, you got what it takes. Just keep taking care of them books. Be smart out there and open up the doors. But what happened, Marcus, I I ended up, I was the 17th pick in the first round of the 77 draft. I was actually drafted by the Washington Bullets. Mm -hmm. Bullets had two first round picks that year. They had uh, the left, uh, they had, the, uh, I think, the 11th pick and the 17th pick. And they all also had already had Elvin Hayes, Wes Unsell, Phil Chenier, uh, Mitch Kupchak. So they took that year, they took Greg Ballard, who played at Oregon, with the 11th pick, who was a forward also. And then they took me with the 17th pick in the first round. And I went out to Washington, was at, 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 at a training camp for the whole uh exhibition season and a week before the regular season started they got uh, Bobby Dandridge from the Milwaukee Bucks mm-hmm. a, as a free agent so mm-hmm. now we had a shitload of forwards, forwards. so I became expendable
3: mm-hmm.
0: so when Bobby Dandridge came so they traded me to Denver Larry Brown uh, called and they traded me to Denver for a first round draft choice the next year which the bullets end up getting dave Corzine from chicago uh-huh. from the bullet from from the paul so they took dave Corzine and i went to denver so i spent three years but right after i got traded uh the story uh we we were in uh we was in little rock arkansas the last week of exhibition season so we was down in little rock so we left dc earlier that day and i get to my room i'm i'm getting all my stuff and i get on the knock on the door And Bernie Bickerstaff and Dick Marta's at the door and they walk into the room and look at me and Dick Marta said, Bo, we just traded you to the Denver Nuggets. He said, don't take it as a slap in the face. And Bernie Bickerstaff looked at me and said, welcome to the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) And I was a little shook for a minute, but two minutes after they walked out of the room, Larry Brown called my room. He said, Bo, don't take this as a slap in the face. He said. It took a lot for us to get you. We wanted you. We want you here. This is where you belong. And the rest is history. And actually the trade worked out good. The only thing about it was that was the year that the Bullets won the NBA championship. that oh. it. So oh. I would have probably, I think at that time it was only about four or five players um, that had won the NCAA championship and then went to the NBA and then won the pro uh, uh, championship. So I missed out on that. But my rookie year at Denver, we lost to the Seattle supersonics in the Western conference finals. And they went on to play the bullets that year and the bullets beat them. So, you know, (sighs) that's my story, But, but, but what happened with my NBA career, I only played three years and, and, it's only a few people that know this story and somebody probably out there has heard it. You know, uh, the draft those days were later in June. So the, the pro summer league at Dr. King boys club started earlier. And uh, I was playing in the pro summer league and uh, we were playing a game and I was guarding Gino Mason who played at Chicago state as an educator. You might know Gino Mason and Gino went to make a move. To go to the baseline it was his left and my right and i slid real quick to cut off the baseline and when i lifted up my right leg to cut him off i heard i heard something pop in my knee boop Damn. Oh. oh shit so i didn't tell anybody because you know the draft had came up yet. so only people that was real close to me knew that I did so my, my attorney, who was Herb Rudoy at that time. Herb Rudoy, I know. Yeah, Herb, Herb sent me. We got the doctor who was the Bulls doctor, went in. We didn't. Have, they didn't have orthoscopic surgery or, or those techniques. So they shot dye in my knee. And they, they, it was a needle, man. That needle was about that long. <laughs> they got all the fluid out. So it turned out that I had a slightly torn cartilage. Oh, but I didn't want to have an operation because... I saw a lot of older guys that had operations like that. And I saw them scars on their knees. and did like that. And i like, mm-hmm. no. i like, is it possible that I, I could get right without having this done because it was a slight tear? And he said, absolutely. So that summer, I, I worked hard. I, I got back in shape and playing one-on-one. And, and actually, I, I was playing a lot of one-on-one with the legendary Red Ross, who was my boy. You know they had played a lot of tournaments, so he would come and get me a, and another friend, uh, Willie Hunter. He he worked at that YMCA that was up off uh 63rd Street. It was pretty, fairly new right there under the L, mm-hmm. uh, right off Cottage right there. So I got back right,
1: mm-hmm.
0: played, uh, played my all through my rookie year and then my second year at Denver. We we were practicing and we practiced on this uh, tartan floor, which is now, you, you're not supposed to do that. It's the rules. And I went to plant my foot on one of those rubber floors at yeah. practice and I blew my knee out totally. So wow. I ended up going out to Sentinel uh, Valley, which was in, in, in California, and, and uh, to see this uh, team doc. Uh, this doctor's name was Dr. Tony Daly. He was an Olympic doctor and he was the one that did all the surgeries on Bill Walton. So my my, my trainer, because at those, at that time you could go to anybody you wanted to to have your surgery. And another thing is the doctor for the Timber Nuggets, he had did surgery on one of the Timber Nugget coaches, and he never played again. I like, oh shit, I'm not letting him. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I was like that a lot. I had a lot of natural people, so I let Dr. Daly do it. I got back right I end up getting in three years and then but but my knees wasn't right and then I end up hurting the other one and I end up going to Europe for a year or two and then you know what I did I said forget it I'm calling it quits I'm putting that degree to work and that same thing that coach told me I put that degree to work and I came back home. I wanted to do some things in Chicago Park District because without Chicago Park District, I would never be where I am today. So I wanted to give back. So I went back and I worked over at Douglas Park on the west side. And actually when I worked over there, uh, they had shot three little guys in the gym and they put me over there. And that's how I ended up working with Collins High School because Collins, is right inside of Douglas Park. And that's how I ended up becoming a coach and and over there. And I also worked at Thule Park. So I did that for five years. And then I got a call from a a guy that was the head of the Marquette Alumni Association. And uh, he called me and he said, Bo, I just called uh, Marquette and recommended you as an assistant coach because one of the assistant coaches had left and told him you had full support as a Chicago alumni. And that's how I ended up going back to Marquette as an assistant coach. And the rest is history. And, and that's how that whole story took place and stuff.
2: Wow, bro, I didn't know that, man. I did not know that you yeah. had uh,
0: knee yeah. problems. Yeah. Man. And and I still, a lot of old timers, Uh, and one, he just passed away, uh, Randy Hunter, who was really close to Sonny Parker. Uh, And uh, I saw Randy, I hadn't seen Randy in some years. Randy went to St. Mel from the west side, Mm -hmm. went to Loyola of Los Angeles and played there. And and when Jabari graduated from Simeon, Sonny had a a big going away thing for him uh, before he went away to Duke. And I saw Randy uh, Hunter there. And Hunter asked me, he said, Bo, you ever think about what would have happened if when you went to the league before you hurt yourself? He said, a lot of people don't have a clue. So things like that make me feel good and see I know it's a lot of other people know how serious a game I had and you know, you know everything happens for a reason yep. uh, and I have a story to tell and that story is from my injury and how that degree thing so that that that's uh that, that's you know that's always important and I haven't shared that with very many people so everybody wow. that's wow. listening to this and you and you would have to go way back and be a little older than me to really know that story about what actually happened but you know my coaching career sharing my story 17 years as a college coach you know wow. always this uh under uh, unbelievable accomplishment but you know i had a taste of the good life and that's what it was all about but that but
2: opened up but the, bo, you know, that but forward. but but bo you are you are awesome man on and off the court and for you to say that just for you to speak up on that about your injury a lot of people would have kept going and said, man, I need another surgery. I'm, I i got to get, I got to play. I want to play. I want to play. And you felt in your heart that, you know what? I did it. And now it's time for me to go to my next chapter in my life, which is what Mal McGuire said, get your degree and let that degree work for you. And now all the people in Marquette, you Mr. Marquette to me, you're a Mr. Marquette that people, know who Bo Ellis is, know what Bo Ellis is all about, know what Bo wants to give back to his communities. As you said, you, Milwaukee is your home, to, you know, and Chicago is your home. So you got love for both cities, and you're doing it, man. You've been doing it for a very long time. And now it's t- time for you to pass that torch to the next young Bo Ellis or whoever it may be to come on and say, you know what? I'm I'm handing it to you guys. Give back to your communities. Let's make a difference in these young young student athletes, and let them go do it the Bo Ellis way. Get come your by, degree, absolutely. come back, and give it to the next person.
0: That's, that's what, and it's funny you say that. I just want to say, you know, you say, Mr. Marquette, so the Dwayne Wade, I, I, uh, I help recruit Glenn Rivers, and whenever I see him, they went, when they see me, they point to me and say, there's the real Mr. Marquette right that's Right. And, and, and that's very important to me. So I still work at Marquette right now as an athletic ambassador. I work for the university. I work for another Marquette man. I'm the director of community outreach, so I, I go to a lot of Milwaukee public schools, do speaking engagements. I promote the university. I, I let the black kids up there in Milwaukee and all around let them know that listen, you can go to a school like Marquette. If I can come from Parker High School on Seventy First and Normal, and I can come out of there from 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 there and, and be able to do what I've been able to do, you can do it too. Because I like I'm just like you. I, I've been in those seats before, so that's what it's all about. And I just been blessed to be able to be put in that position and and like i said i'm 66 now i wasn't going to be going to have no other surgeries and and different things like that i like listen I, i'll go and do something else and and i'm glad that i was i was taught that way and that's why i'm giving it back and let each one see my story and hear my story because that's what it's all about
2: and i want to shout out to you man a happy belated birthday to um from us here at Hall Ball Chicago. Happy belated birthday to you. Appreciate it, Mark. I appreciate you, brother. Hey, Bo, let me throw this in right quick, though. Your man said you was gonna
1: be rich. You was gonna make $100,000. That was back then. That was big money back then, wasn't it? Hey, listen, I tell them now,
0: hey, when I go and I speak to these kids and I tell them, I say, listen, I was the 17th pick of the first round in the 77 NBA draft. And I told him I signed for $90,000. And I told him I was 90,000 richer than I ever dreamed of. I told (laughs) him the minimum salary back then was 30000 And you have to remember, when I went to the league, Marcus, in 77, the league was kind of at an all-time low at that point. And then a few years later, when Magic and Bird came into the league, the right. league took off because I, you know, I, I was a part of that 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 free base generation in the NBA. So it was kind of it, it was a little wild out there, right? And, you know, so you know, I I I, I had a lot of stories to tell, and and there's a reason for that. And, yep. and God doesn't put anything in front of you that you can't handle, and 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 my story is out there for a reason, and. I've been blessed to be able to tell it now, and, and I'm telling it more and more because that's what it's all about—to tell young people. Because, like you said, they need to hear this, and that's what it's all all about. And and I don't regret anything that happened to me. I, you know, I had three years in the league, got my pension. I was able to do that. You know, I had a chance to go over the seas. I played a little. I played a little in Italy and Belgium. But once I did that, the facilities and in the early '70s, they were not quite <laughs> the way it is now. You know, I had a chance. I had a chance to see the world for free, and basketball has opened up so many doors for me. I've been all around the world, and, and actually, last summer, through my job in Milwaukee and my Marquette man with SkyGen USA, I had a chance to go to Africa. I went to Tanzania, wow. you know, uh, and. And what that was about is my boss, who's a Marquette man that I work for in Milwaukee, they, they do a lot of uh, technology things Well, for, uh, for software. He put together a program where people of Tanzania, they've been given uh, the last five years over 80,000 uh, free eye exams and over 50,000 pairs of free glasses to people in Tanzania. So my That's boss- awesome. Who's a few years before me, well, uh, I worked for and market to do the community things. He, he had me go, and my wife actually went with me and experienced it. And I hadn't been anywhere in a long time. And, and up before Tanzania, i probably been to 15 different countries, but I didn't want to be getting on no plane, plane but when for I that long. About it, I always said that I wanted to go to Africa, and it was him that he asked me. It's been very good to me. I said, I'm going. It was one of the best experiences that I have had in my life, but that, that 19 hour plane ride that was a long way. Ooh. But I went to Australia when I was uh, coaching at Marquette. So we went to Sydney and Melbourne and that was 23 off hours and oh. we crossed the international date line. So when you get ah. over there, you know, it's a, a little different, but I had that experience. I've been very blessed. I had a chance to see the world, and able to tell the stories, touch people over there. And that's what life is all about. And, I, you know, hopefully and God willing, you know, I still got a lot more things to do, but won't right. be you know, going way over there. I'm doing it right here in the community. And, you know, I'm still available in Chicago. And, and the other thing is um, I, I lost my, or oh, one of the reasons I stopped coaching is I lost my oldest daughter 17 years ago who graduated oh. from Marquette, was a manager on the women's team. She developed a rare and uncommon liver disease at 24 years old uh, back in 2003. And I was still at Chicago State, and then they had decided they wanted to make a change. So I was ready, too, because I, I did my five years. I tried, you know, I still don't regret anything that I did there in the kids. But I lost my daughter. She got sick from from an uncommon liver disease and, and uh. So you know that that was a, a little hard for me. So I ended up coming back home and I I worked in Chicago public schools. I worked in sports administration. So I oversaw Wilain Stadium for five years. Huh? So I was doing a lot of things, and actually that's when Jabari was just coming out of eighth grade and going to into high school. And I remember going over to uh, I think it was Blackman School where Jabari went over there. Me and Sunny and, and I went and had a chance to see Jabari. So I was doing some things, giving some things back, you know, in the public, in public schools, and because you know that's home, because you know without Chicago public schools, I wouldn't be where I am today. I, I had mm-hmm. I had teachers in, in the '60s that was, you know, from the traditional black colleges, and those sort the ones that set my table for me and taught me, you know, what this whole thing was all about. So you know that that was a you know tremendous experience, and you know losing my daughter and you know, being able to do some things. So right now, uh, my wife and myself, we, we we have a big golf outing. We just finished the 13th year. We call it the Warrior Day Golf Outing. Okay. So we bring back former Marquette players and do a golf outing in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. So we raise money for students of color at Marquette. And the students that get the Ralph Maccare scholarship award, we, we actually give them, uh, we add on money to to for them to be able to go to Marquette and to be able to uh, to afford to be able to have the experience at Marquette. So we we have the have the Nicole Ellis Foundation and then we're just trying to do some other things for a lot of other families, not only in Milwaukee but in Chicago during uh, Christmas time, helping buy coats, helping the churches, and doing different things and. And, uh, and do it in my daughter's name for Nicole Ellis. So, you know, that's been another thing that God put in my life that has, has enabled my wife and myself to be able to help and make a difference in other young people's lives and, and stuff. And, you know, having the tragedy and being able to turn that into something positive. So, mm-hmm. and it's a kind of fellowship with a lot of the former players and the young and the old ones and the ones that I coached in my 12 years. They come out every summer, and we do it up in Lake Geneva. Always the third Monday in July. So if you ever want to come back, yes, and I do. Golf, you know you have all the info. So uh, in the last few years, Richard Reels, who was an NFL referee, Danny Crawford, NFL, mm-hmm. NBA referee, all of my boys, Frank Kaminsky's, and, and all of them, Dr. Waltons, they come back and golf, and I put celebrities with them. Emory Moorhead from the Bears. So they've all helped me be a part of something to make a difference in young people's lives and, and, and help some kids of color being able to, you know, afford the market way and, and, and things like that. So, you know, that's been important
1: to me, and I've been blessed to be able to do that. Hey, this, hey uh, Bo, this is a guy on here. He, real quickly, he said, uh, who is Butch Carter? Uh, he said, how's Butch Carter? Butch Carter? Aaron McLean.
0: Well if he, if he's talking about Butch Lee was my teammate but it's a Butch Carter that used to uh, play the, in Indiana in uh the uh um the wide receiver brother right 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 that's Chris Carter's uh younger brother but Butch coached that Dayton and we were close if that's who he's talking about right. but if he's if he's thinking Butch Lee who's my teammate Butch Lee is living in Puerto Rico now And uh, doing well, got a son that's actually a pretty good player that's out on the East Coast. But Butch Carter is doing well. Butch Carter also coached at the Toronto Raptors back in the day, probably around the time you had came out, Marcus, and stuff. But, yeah, that's Chris Carter's little brother, if that's who they're referring
2: to. Yeah. So, Bo, I know you got to go, but before you go, we always like our guests to, Drop some more knowledge, you know, for the up and coming uh, next, you know, student athlete coming out of Chicago because this is all ball Chicago and we represent Chicago, but we have a lot of listeners all over, but what kind of advice would you give someone who wants to play the game of basketball, who wants to be a student athlete and, and play, you know, basketball, what kind of advice would you give?
0: Well, uh, it's it's always great to have high aspirations and dreams. And the one thing that you know, Coach McGuire would say, and Mel and Leon say would say is you use basketball, don't let basketball use you. And they say, yes, okay, you know, you you, you may have an ability to, to to leave school after one year, which is fine. No, nothing wrong with that. But remember, at some time the ball does stop bouncing. And you know, and it may be two years, it may be ten of 15 years from now, but when it does stop, you're going to still be young. So have something to fall back on, have your goals, be smart, and also share your story with others and be a good listener, because that's how you become successful. And as a young person, learn from other people's mistakes, be careful about what you're doing in the street. Know who you're hanging out with and you're surrounding yourself with because a lot of times in these day and ages, you know, kids get caught up being in the wrong place at the wrong time with somebody that they looking for to start shooting at and you happen to be with your boy, but you ain't really very informed about what your boy is doing out there. So just stay on your toes say your blessings, take care of your schoolwork. Because even if you do leave school early, at some point, you're gonna need that degree. So always go back and enjoy the game and enjoy life. Stay smart out there because the world can be yours if you want it and just do what you have to do to be successful and try to be smart and be blessed and that's what it's all about and and work hard at it but don't put all of your marbles in one basket there's nothing tomorrow's not guaranteed to any of us you know life is precious and you know we all know about what happened to ben wilson and and i knew ben And, and actually before i went to douglas park i worked over at Thule park and ben used to come up there and play and that was right after i had got out of the league so i came pretty close to being, and I'll never forget when Ben got shot and I heard that I didn't go to work that day. I sat on my bed at home, and I cried like a baby, and I came down to, uh, you know, to to, to to Operation Push to try to get in the, to, to the service, yeah. but I couldn't mm-hmm. do it, and there was many, many times growing up in Inglewood that, you know, it was just somebody coming, they start shooting a little bit, nothing compared to what they're doing today. Mm-hmm. And I tell kids all the time, if, if it was a gang of five people coming down the street when we was coming up, if two of them had pistols, then all we had to uh, dodge was 12 bullets because them pistols is only six <laughs> And I'm like, nowadays, they have five people coming down the street and, and at least Woo! one of them gets semi automatic. So well, they gotta instead of them dodging 12 bullets, they gotta dodge 300. I like better chance yeah. I know you like that story. But I like to end on that, okay. but you know, take mm-hmm. care of your schoolwork. You know, I, I know sometimes it's a lot of pressure from the families for these kids to go and go to school and you know go into the pros early. You know just take your time you know because if it's there for you this year it's there for you next year and yeah i blew out my knee and i hurt myself but you know what i wouldn't change anything that's happened to me in my life for nothing in the world so you know with that being said i appreciate you brothers thanks for having me on and you know mark i you know we've been seeing each other watching for years and, uh-huh. and now you have the number i got you plugged that's in. right Call me anytime when you're back in the city. Once all of this craziness is over, we'll get together, share some more stories. Because you know, like you reaching out to me, I've been reaching out to the George Wilsons and you know the Rich Bradshaw's that played at Marshall. See, those are some names you probably don't even
3: know. No, Come I mean, I, I, <laughs> and, I would
0: see, love to get and I, know, I would love and, to get them on. I would oh, love yeah, because yeah, yeah, Gene of Gene Ford that played at Crane and Rich. Bradshaw in 1963. He was the player of the year, you know, in Illinois. Oh. So yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting to know them and an older age. And actually the last couple of years, they've been in a, coming to the golf out. So there, and I've been able to thank them for opening up the doors for me, you know, that's been able to open up the doors for the Mark Aguilar, Isaiah's, mm-hmm. and the Ronnie Fields and and we can go on and on no. and on. And I don't really say Kevin Garnett because Kevin only came for one year. One year, yeah. He, he was a transport and stuff. And you know the difference back when we were in school too is, you know everybody had to go to high school, you had to go to school in your neighborhood unless you went to a vocational school. So <laughs> if you didn't go to Simeon, CVS, Dunbar, well, I don't even think Westinghouse was in existence. Everybody pretty much stayed in the neighborhood and went to school. And that's why high school basketball was so serious. When we were coming up the Phillips, the DuSobos, the Hurst we all, we, we stayed in the neighborhood. We didn't venture out. We stayed with our boys and we played. So times has changed a little bit, but change is good for everybody. So thank you again, brothers yeah. for having me on. I love you, man. It's nice that you're doing you this. Too. You know, I'm available in Chicago somebody else reaches out to you and, um, you know, need me to come, you know, talk with the kids once all of this stuff is over, that's what I do because okay. that's what God puts me on this earth to do is to share my story. And, and if I can't share my knowledge and, and my basketball abilities, then what else I'm going to do? And and as an athletic ambassador, I'm, I'm always in the young players' ears at Marquette from, you know, the Glen Rivers to the Dog River. Uh, to the Dwayne Wade's and to the kids that's there now. So that's what I do. And that's what I've been blessed with, you know, with the almighty creator.
1: That's right. Bo, tell Dwayne
2: Wade we want him. <laughs> All right, But Bo, we appreciate you again, man. And make sure you tell your wife, thank you for letting, you know, you join us for this hour and some change because we've been right. on for a while. So make sure you tell your wife, thank right. you thank for you. letting you well, come she's on. She's the show. one to set up the Zoom call. All right. <laughs> Yeah, All right.
0: my, my, my technical skills is getting better, but <laughs> that's when my age comes in. But that's okay. and It's fine. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. God you. bless you, bro. And God bless you, too. Thank you, bro. All right, Amen. man. All the best, Marcus. All
2: right. Thank you. All right, the, you legend! Bro, the legend. Bro, Wallace in the building, baby? Oh, boss. Yes, sir. Yes. All right, bro. All, right, All
0: right, big guy.
2: All right. Thanks. Later. Yeah. Man, <laughs> Bo <Both, both laughs> is like on point with stuff. Like man, like the way he was talking and and dropping those jewels, man, he just kept them coming. Like he just he didn't stop. He just kept them rolling. Some of our guests they'll stop a little bit. He continued. He let that thing snowball, and man, he just kept it going. That's why I was like, it was cohesive. Yeah, I was. I'm gonna be quiet. You know, I'm like, I'm just gonna let him go. He was just flowing, man. But, but the
1: stories were so cohesive. Like, you couldn't break it up because no. it all had a beginning and an ending.
2: Yeah.
1: And they were great stories, man. I mean, the the, the legacy that, like, I thought, like, I talked to Dildy Dildy, said he was the first freshman to start Boston in public school system. See, we need to hide this knowledge because he said it was him and Ricky Green.
2: You yeah. know, so it's like. But I think, I think he was talking about more so college.
1: No, I thought he said that in high school, when he was in high school, the first No,
2: I think he he was talking about college, you know. I mean, he said high school, but I think he was talking about college because he started as a freshman in college, and Ricky Green, I think, started in Michigan as a freshman in college. Uh, Get us Ricky Green, y'all. I want to talk to the – man, that dude was quick. Lightning quick, man, lightning quick. But Bo Ellis, man, but to hear his story about – Three years of playing, well, actually four years of playing professional and then gave it up, just gave it up, said, you know, knees probably can't handle it. I got my degree. Let me use this degree. And that within itself, man, shows you what kind of person he is, you know, and big shout out to Bo Ellis for joining us on All Ball Chicago. Uh, I, I just I'm lost for words right now, man, because. I'm still thinking about some of the things that he was talking about. (laughs) Digest. You're going to have to go back and watch this one, Because uh, I I wanted someone like that to be in my ear, you know, Mm -hmm. growing. I saw him, like I told him before, I saw him. But if I got that opportunity to actually pick his brain and talk to him, because he said it. A lot of times it wasn't guys in our neighborhood that made it to the pros. So he Mm -hmm. didn't have anybody to look up to. You know, and he wasn't from my neighborhood, so I didn't have nobody that made it to the pros from my neighborhood. And little did he know, little did he know, you would embrace them if he came to holler at you. Oh, he know, he he know that he he can tell just by just about the conversations that we have right now. And I would have did that with Mark Aguirre. I would have did that with Isaiah Thomas. I would have did that with anybody that came from the city, Chicago. You know, I would have picked their brain. You know, but they wasn't. You know accessible to us you know I couldn't I couldn't get to you know at the time so
1: it's important but, that y'all create a cohort man for professional athletes to talk to these young guys man that'd be a great cohort cohort yeah. cohort. yeah I, don't, I pronounced that right
2: yeah yeah, yeah man. but all about Chicago is that is that platform to reach so yes, hopefully it is. somebody out there somebody out there that's listening share it let them, let them let them let your youngsters you know up and coming hoopers listen to all Ball Chicago, we didn't dropped at least 40-something episodes with different people on talking about different things. Everybody's background is different. So make sure you share it with some of the people that you love and let them listen to them. Tell them to listen to it because we're not just on here laughing and joking all the time. You know, we are actually trying to give back so we can open up someone's ears so they can understand what's really going on in the game of basketball from well, All You Ball.
1: figure, big dog, we didn't had George Montgomery then we double back. We had Russell Cross, and then we just had Bo Ellis. Man, we're talking Mount Rushmore, Chicago basketball. Man, when you're talking the '70s, and, you know, he said the '60s. And I mean, talking that's
2: talking the about civil about
1: rights movement, man. We're talking
2: know? about people that he looked up to, George yeah. Wilsons of the world. You know, yeah, I uh, go so, um, yeah, man. I would love to. I would love to get some of those guys on too. Just to you know, pick their brain, just listen to some of their upbringings and, and and how was it, you know, in the 50s, you know, like, wow.
1: The 50s. Yeah, man. So when we was just a little, and our mom and daddy, little eye, right? Yeah, man. Hey, but before we get out of here, you know, I, I did my presentation today on my device, All Ball Chicago, man. Y'all better come get it, man. The world's first social distance device, All Ball Chicago. Uh my you're man waving, Lib.
2: You know, you're waving it too. This let's, let's put it up there so they can see it. Hey, my man Lib,
1: he rocked it down there and said soda for me. Oh, sorry about that.
2: Yeah, because it's it's a radio too, so you can you can play some music on that thing too.
1: You can play the music too. So once it sync up, you see that? You sync it up, and then that volume kicks right in, man. You feel me? This is uh I'm telling you, this is called a culture. You hook it to your belt. Your coaches, man, can't be running around here hollering all the time. Say your voice, man. Say your voice. You know what I'm saying, live. Your voice is your money. So we off and running with this, man. Check my page out, man. Once again, man, All Ball Chicago, man, we trying to do this thing, man, for y'all. We doing it for the culture. My man, live. hey, I'll be
2: sitting back. When is when is those day, when is that social uh, coaches device going to be available for It'll be available, like man, man uh, September 25th.
1: September twenty fifth. Yeah, the company, man, they, they really pushing. Uh, they really pushing to get it out here in the states because they're all overseas. So we need to be able to get out about fifty of them joints to show a need over here in the states. You know, that's how they determine whether or not if it's a need. And uh, well, that's where we at with it, man. Well, so, Bob.
2: You got, you know, some of the coaches that have been on our show already. Robert Reed over there. I mean, uh, Robert Smith over at Simeon. And I think uh, Slaughter said he will, he was interested. And maybe you can get the college level, Mike Mike Irvin. I mean, Nick Irvin over at Western Illinois. Maybe you can get them to endorse it too.
1: Well, you know, we it's a it start today. I just stopped putting it out. Of course, you know, I was a semifinalist for Shark Tank for it. And uh, Mark Cuban, all of them loved it. I made it to the video submission part. And I'm sitting at the crib. I'm thinking, oh, I'm finna build a Shark Tank. But my numbers didn't add up. I didn't sell enough units, so they told me try again next year. But I got the statue with me, man. We finna get yeah, it man. done, man. Yeah, you know man. what I'm saying? All Ball Chicago. I'm your co-host, Robert Bobby Reed. I got the legend, the NBA veteran, the McDonald All-American, your host, Marcus Liberty in the building. What you finna be on, big guy?
2: Man, I'm about to throw you that look away. You better be ready. I got it. I ain't do too much passing though, dude, but I gave gave you one. All right, man. We out of here, man. It's all about Chicago. I'm your host, Marcus Liberty, and we got my man,
1: Robert Bobby Reed. We
2: up out of here. Shout out to Bo Ellis, the legend. We out. Peace. We out
1: of here.